Hi, everyone. Dr. B here. Thank you again for joining me for another episode of Ask the Dentist. Today's question is a biggie. Big in the sense that it can affect a lot of children. Parents find it very stressful. We see it happening a lot. And because it's such an important question, I felt it was necessary to bring in an expert. I'll do this occasionally. I have access to a great network of functional dentists. It's wonderful. I can either refer to them or have them on the show. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. I'll give you an introduction to who she is. Uh, We'll talk about the question. Just wanted to say, in many ways, I like timestamping these podcasts so that when we look back on them, we have some context, a reference point. And we just got over COVID, all of that, the stress of that, the being disconnected from people and people dying, of course, loved ones suffering and dying. And now we've got the war in the Ukraine. We've got inflation, tough times, a lot of unrest, political unrest as well, and really difficult things to hear and see in the media. And the only reason I bring that up is that on top of that, we've got these difficult situations with our kids that have cavities. That's a little bit of a hint on what we're going to talk about today. And I hear a lot of stress in people's voices when they're asking questions. And and so that's kind of, there's the macro stress, our whole situation globally. And then there's the stress that we typically are exposed to every day, the micro stresses that we experience during the day, every day with our families, workplace, personal relationships, our own personal health, health of our family members, and the wellness, of course, of everyone that we love dearly. So it's, I just feel bad. And so I would just like to, a part of the reason for doing this podcast is to help with the micro stress. And certainly I think you'll hear that in the the listener's voice today. And that's why this is a big question. This is a big question with oral health and treating it because it produces a lot of stress. So having said that, let's get to the question. I'll kind of pick through what I think are the salient important points. I'll introduce our expert. She's a pediatric dentist. And just to warn you, the audio quality will change. I'm going from here being in a studio in front of a very high quality mic, recording with a very high quality digital program. And then we'll be going to a Zoom call. It'll be audio. And we'll be talking to the expert and and kind of piecing out this question and really making sure we get a great, great answer and with some solutions for this person and for all the other parents out there having to deal with the same thing. So anyway, here is the question. Again, so glad you're here. So glad you're asking these questions. Thanks for the opportunity to be able to answer questions like this and to help in the realm of oral health and how it relates to our lives, whether it's the big picture, the small picture. Hope this process is helping. Here is the question. Great question. I was told today that my two-year-old needs to see a pediatric dentist to have work done, and he will need to be sedated for it to treat his cavities. I don't know anything about the sedation process and don't want to do that unless it's absolutely necessary. So I was wondering what my options are, what that looks like, when to know if that's needed or not. He's only two and isn't in pain that I can tell if there's other interventions or if that would be enough. They're all on his upper teeth. Some are just on the front, but some are in the back as well. I don't know. I just want to know my options when it comes to that with him being at such a young age. Thank you so much. Wonderful question. Really important. Sedating your two-year-old. That makes any parent nervous. And occasionally, I'll just come out with it. We all know this. Occasionally, there are deaths when this happens. Is a dentist, do they have enough training to do this? What form of sedation? I mean, it sounds like that that was not explained to you at all, that you weren't given any options and you don't know what it entails. That's what I heard in your question. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to educate everyone on pros and cons. I completely understand where you're coming from. I would be nervous as well. We're going to talk to our expert about this. This is something that she does 
in our practice. We're going to talk about some other things. Why the upper teeth? Why are the cavities on the upper teeth? How do you know if your child is in pain? Does that affect not the diagnosis, but the treatment plan? And when is sedation appropriate? What is sedation for a pediatric dental visit. I mean, that's important. Again, it sounds like that was not explained to you. And is it necessary? Are there options around it? These are all really, really important questions. And what are the long-term effects of sedating your child? And I'm not just talking about systemically. I mean, obviously it involves pharmaceutical drugs. But what about from a behavioral aspect? What are the behavioral aspects of not sedating your child holding them down and having the work done when they're screaming and yelling and crying and very upset. That has implications as well. I think I'm going to ask the expert also about a papoose board. I have thoughts on all of this, but I'm not a pediatric dentist. A little joke among dentists is that when you see a child, we basically think of this as community service. Pediatric fees are less than fees for adults. And sometimes a dentist who's not trained in this properly will end up spending a lot more time with the child. And so there's no profit in it. And that's where that joke comes from. The origin of that joke, it's community service. I enjoy working with children. There are a lot of general dentists. I even know some pediatric dentists that inherently, basically deep down, don't enjoy children and being with children. Children are, a, it's a different, completely different ball game. And But what's great about children is that it's very raw. It's, they are easy, I think, to reach out to. I think it's the inverse. I think many adults with their phobias and lifestyle and lifestyle choices, but also their experiences and over time, a form of PTSD with dental visits, they're a lot more difficult to deal with. So this is where sedation comes into play. So it's a great question. So who is our expert? Our expert is Dr. Stacy Whitman. I've known her for many years. She is on our functional directory list. I went to meet her and I wanted to see her practice, which is absolutely phenomenal, kind of built from the ground up in a home in a nice neighborhood in Portland. That's two stories. It is just so well designed. The minute you walk in, you can tell that it's just this wonderful place for children, for parents. They feel, I mean, people come from all over the U.S. to see Stacy, and they bring their children. And that should give you some idea of how skilled she is with dealing with this very vertical aspect of dentistry, and that is pediatric dentistry. When you go into specialty school, that's another two to three years after dental school, which is four years after college. I mean, it's a real investment. And also, there's a test you take at the end, and you don't necessarily have to take the test to be a specialist. She actually passed that test. That's called the Diplomate Test. And so she is a Diplomate of Pediatric Dentistry, and you can tell she really loves being with kids. She has two daughters of her own, which they're absolutely wonderful. And again, when it comes to functional dentistry, seeing the big picture, she gets it. She is way ahead of the curve. Laser proficiency, myofunctional therapy, integrative dentistry, facial development, early intervention, airway dentistry, oral microbiome recognition of that. She's a Breathe Institute ambassador. There are very few dentists that have actually finished the Institute of Functional Medicine protocol or certification, and she's due to get that soon. So again, talk about getting functional dentistry. This is a person that embodies functional dentistry. So I'm personally very glad to know her. And we are working on some projects together, more on that later. But most importantly, I'm so glad to have her on our list, on our functional provider list, which at the end of every episode, I give a link to in case you are interested in reaching out or seeing her or finding out who in your area is similar, sees the big picture and treats on a kind of a systemic global basis when it comes to oral health. So without any further ado, we're going to switch over to a different audio system. It's a Zoom call, so you'll notice a little difference in audio quality, but we're going to sit down talk with Stacy, and get this question answered properly. Hey, Stacy, I am so glad you are here. We spoke a little bit about what this reader has asked. Again, a two-year-old scheduled for cavities. Sounds like she didn't get any background on sedation. What that was about, it was just mentioned, like bring your child in, we'll sedate them. So we're going to talk about when is it appropriate? How do you deal with this? I mean, I have some thoughts, but again, I'm not a pediatric dentist. It's just great that we can 
speak with you. Let's first talk about the difference between well, what kind of sedation, oral sedation or IV sedation. I mean, let's unpack that because I don't think a lot of patients understand. They may think it's just nitrous and there's so many different layers. So let's talk about that first. What do you recommend and what is sedation in the dental practice, in the dental setting? Yes. Hi, Dr. B. Thanks hey. for having me on. And thank you to the listener for this really important question. And I'm sorry that you didn't receive more information. We'll go into that in a little bit. But the first information you should have been given was what type of sedation. So there are different types. There's oral sedation, there's IV sedation, and then there's general anesthesia. Oral sedation is usually when we give a child something to drink. It's considered a lighter form of sedation. It's often used before surgery. So if you're in a hospital setting, they'll give something called Versed. that just helps you relax. It has an amnesia effect. And that's before you go back to the operating room to have your full anesthesia completed. There's IV sedation, which is more like conscious sedation or usually like a twilight sleep. That's often for in children, like quicker procedures, at least in my office. And then there's full anesthesia. Personally, oral sedation, a lot of dentists are using this in children. I personally do not use it in my office. I just find it doesn't really work effectively for the amount of treatment and work that we're doing. We've spoken about this before, Dr. B, but dentistry is very involved. There's a lot of steps and processes with it. There's a lot of stimulation, vibration, pressure, taste, sounds, and it's very complicated. And well, just working in the airway, in the um, mouth, yeah, in the mouth exactly. is frightening to a child. I mean, you're blocking their ability to swallow or breathe, back. especially yes. if they're not a nose breather. It is a very frightening, anxiety-producing event. Yes, and so I also find a lot of oral sedation tends to have. It's called oh, I've forgotten the word. It has the opposite effect paradoxical effect, sorry, right, exactly. which means instead of relaxing your child, your child mm-hmm. gets more riled up, they get more emotional, they can get mm-hmm. combative. And I see that a lot in younger children. Mm-hmm. And also, generally, if you're doing an oral sedation, it's the dentist who's administering it and mm-hmm. who's monitoring your child. And personally, I feel I should be focused on the teeth and the dentistry, and I want another professionally trained provider there monitoring the medications in your child. So I prefer to work with an anesthesiologist, and I know that can be intimidating to some parents, but I truly believe that that is what keeps children in the safest environment if we do need some sort of sedation to get dental work done. So I'm not a big fan of oral sedation in pediatric dentistry. A lot of times medications can get overdosed. A lot of times we're mixing medications. A lot of times the children will be actually on the way home when the peak effect hits. And so they kind of get resedated. We've seen Um, lots of YouTube videos on that where parents are, which is not not very nice. Absolutely. And a lot of the things that perhaps you've read in the news and the media, those are often Mm -hmm. issues that have come up in dental offices where the dentist is administering the medication, the child's been over sedated and they weren't being properly monitored. So that's oral sedation. I'm personally not a big fan of it, unless I think it can work in older kids, 9, 10, 11 years old, who maybe just need an extraction or something pretty quick and minor. And it's for kids that really, they're very compliant and cooperative. They're just nervous. So it gets them over the speed bump of anxiety. But for a child that won't even sit in the chair, that won't even sit through an exam or a cleaning, that you can't get x-rays on, that's very scared, it's not going to work. It just won't. I've seen it fail a million times. So that's that. IV sedation is generally also for just a quicker procedure, but your child has an open airway. I'm not a big fan of this in the pediatric population either. A lot of oral surgeons will do this with older patients. But then there's full general anesthesia, and that is what I perform in my office with a board-certified anesthesiologist being present. And that is what we do if a child needs full mouth dental rehabilitation, which means they have a lot of dental work that needs to be done. They have fillings. They might need pulpotomies, which are called baby root canals. They Mm -hmm. might need crowns. And that is truly what I believe is the safest way if a child needs sedation to get their dental work addressed, 
where I, the dentist, am focused on my dentistry. And then I have an anesthesiologist there focusing on administering the medications and properly monitoring your child with all the standard monitors that are required. That is such an important point. And I think that's an important thing that parents should ask. Who is giving the sedation? You mentioned oral sedation. I completely agree with you. The effect is unpredictable. And sometimes the child is not fully anesthetized. I mean, to the point where you're able to do the work and then they get in the car, they get home. That's when the peak effect is. That's why the IV sedation is so much better. You have more control. You can get the work done quicker. Yeah. I won't remember the procedure. So I think that's a really important takeaway point is who is giving the sedation? It should be someone else. It should be a physician. And let's face it, we now know that we cannot multitask. We are not good multitaskers. And I would much rather have the time and the well-being to just be the clinician and have someone else focus on that very, very important aspect of the procedure. And that is making sure the child is sedated. So that's important, I think, for people to ask. Yeah, I explain it this way to parents too. We've probably all given our children a little Benadryl before, mm-hmm. maybe for not only for an allergy, but maybe for airplane rides. Right, and, right. and instead of making them tired and fall asleep, they Winds become, them up. Um, yes. And so that's yeah. a paradoxical reaction. And that is essentially what a lot of the oral sedations can do. So then you become in this situation where the child can become wild and then you're mm-hmm. having to physically restrain them to hurry up and get this work done. And the dentistry is really subpar. And it's very emotionally stressful for the parent, Mm -hmm. who's usually in the room for oral sedations, not so much for general anesthesia. The child usually doesn't remember it, but it is something the parent will keep with them forever. And then a lot Mm -hmm. of times we have to redo the work or go to the general anesthesia anyway. So we don't need to beat a dead horse. I'm not a fan of oral sedation. I do want to say to the listener this is definitely something your provider should have gone over with you. Completely, totally. Extensively. Yes. And then mm-hmm. I extensively go over options with the families. And then the family goes to my business team, who then extensively goes over everything with them again. Mm-hmm. And then my anesthesiologist personally calls every patient to answer questions too. Right. And also there's an informed consent form. Mm -hmm. It's unfair for the parent to come in at the time of the procedure and then to have to look at that form then. I mean, there really should be more explanation and more time to look at the form. Yeah. And then going over the reasons why. So I've said this to you before, but I do have to do general anesthesia on children. I have a very busy office, but we have an anesthesiologist come into the office about three, sometimes four times a month. And we will see, I would say, between 20 and 25 children a month this way. So it's a very common way that we have to get dental work done in young children if the work is more extensive. Mm -hmm. But it is all about risk, benefit, and what's actually happening in your child's mouth. So I wouldn't be able to comment without seeing your child, but I tend to be very conservative. And so if a cavity is very small and we have the opportunity to arrest it or delay its progression or remineralize it, but even if it's just kicking the can a little bit, keeping those issues stable until the child's a little bit older, that is my preference. If I'm going to do an anesthesia, I really like to try to wait until a child's three years old. There's some data to support that. That's not always the case. Sometimes we have to do anesthesia in a one or two-year-old, but it really depends on the extensiveness of the decay Is it involving the nerve or the pulp of the tooth? Is there pain? Is it affecting quality of life? Is there infection? Is there abscessing? Those are reasons to be a little more aggressive, meaning to follow through and get the teeth fixed because we don't want things to get out of control. And also we don't want to leave infection in the mouth. We don't want to leave pathogenic bacteria in the mouth. That's the oral microbiome that you and I speak of so much that how is that affecting the rest of the body? They're swallowing this bacteria every day. How is that affecting their gut health? But for smaller cavities, there are things you can do to monitor. And a lot of providers will offer silver diamine fluoride. I personally don't use that in my office. We use ozone gas and ozone water and ozone oils. And we really emphasize dietary changes, how the child's breathing, hygiene, using products that help remineralization like hydroxyapatite. 
I often like to get the children vitamin D tested because a lot of times they have vitamin D deficiency. So we really want to just help support them to kick the can as long as we can. But again, I've been a dentist for 15 years. I've had to do thousands and thousands of anesthesias. I will say this, you really should find a provider that resonates with you and that you trust because this is a big deal to you, the parent, right? And so I want to say it's very normal to feel very uncomfortable with this, to feel scared, to feel uneasy. It is the first time many of us have had to give up control of about being the protector of our children. Yeah. And now we're handing that over to someone we don't know, an anesthesiologist that we maybe don't know very well or at all. And that's very scary. And so finding a provider that will speak to this. You know, I always like to say my personal experience, my daughter had her tonsils out almost two years ago now. And I had been doing this for almost a decade, over a decade. And I know the statistics. I know how extremely safe it is. I know what the outcomes are. And I was terrified. I was so nervous, you know? And of course she did amazing and healthy kids do. Healthy kids do fantastic. If your child can run and play and has no underlying cardiovascular or heart issues, healthy kids do wonderful for anesthesia, but you really want to feel empowered. And that means it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to say, could I speak to the anesthesiologist? Could we speak about the medications being used? What are your emergency protocols? I also encourage you to ask a lot about the monitoring. So there are standard of care monitors that should be being used. That includes pulse oximetry. This is very important. Testing blood pressure and capnography, which is fairly recent to becoming more standard of care in a dental environment. But you want to know this and also even more, I shouldn't say more important, but as important, what happens in recovery So many of the things you've read in the media potentially are not only dentists that are administering the drugs by themselves without an anesthesiologist there, but children that are going into recovery without anyone monitoring them. So I want to empower parents to ask the question, who is with my child in the recovery room monitoring them? And it should be a certified and trained professional, whether it's a nurse or it depends on the state, but it could just be an assistant, but that has been trained in how to monitor your child, but also what monitors are on your child. And really, they really should have at least a pulse oximeter on there. We can tell a lot through pulse oximetry, how the child is doing, making sure that they're well oxygenated. And again, this is where there have been unfortunate outcomes is where there's been no monitors in the recovery room and there's been no one monitoring the child in the recovery room. And I want to encourage parents to feel comfortable asking these questions. I think it's very reasonable and any caring, nurturing provider will take the time to answer these for you. You know, I think that's important. And it's very sad that this information was not made available to the person who asked the question. What do you say to the parent that absolutely puts their foot down and says, no, just drill and fill, go for it. I don't care what my child does, hold them down, put them, strap them down on a papoose board. I mean, what are the long-term implications of that? And we know how we've talked about it. We know how safe certain types of anesthesia are. Just to add to that, I know for a fact that because of all the new technology, it has become extremely safe. There's a higher likelihood of having anaphylaxis to the local anesthesia by a huge margin than it is to have IV sedation, twilight sedation. So Yeah, like to Novocaine. Yeah. yeah. The stats are one in a million with a negative outcome. This doesn't it only include children. This is all age groups. Right. It's usually 85 and older. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those are amazing statistics. I like to throw this in. Back in the 1940s, the stats with anesthesia was six out of 10,000 negative mm-hmm. outcomes. And what right. changed was in the 1980s was pulse oximetry. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. So we're getting better with our technology. We're getting better with our protocols. Anesthesia is so much safer than it was just several decades ago. That's not to say that it's still normal to feel uncomfortable with it as a parent, and that is okay. And again, just trying to make sure you feel empowered to ask the right questions. I do not papoose children. 
I have papoose one child in my entire career. In and dental I will school. Never do it again. <laughs> right. I almost got kicked out of my residency for refusing to do it again. I Good swear. For you. That's another story I'll share someday. But I stood my ground. I think it's inhumane. It it's really inhumane. is. Yep. I think it's assault. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, I think yep. it's torturous. The children remember it. It's abuse. It's emotional trauma that they're going to carry with them throughout life. They do remember it. I speak to thousands of adults every year because I speak to these parents. And anyone who has dental phobia, it pretty much all goes back to childhood. Early experiences at the dentist. Traumatic experience. And then these are the patients that do not go to the dentist unless they Mm -hmm. are in extreme pain or having an extreme emergency. So they're not being preventative and they're not. And that in itself dead. affects their lives. I mean, their health Absolutely. span, their lifespans, oral health affecting systemic health. They're Parent, just not great patients, right? Gum disease, periodontal disease. Absolutely. Right. Right. So I do, it depends on the provider you work with. I do want to respect a parent's choice to make medical decisions for their children. Of course, if there's a child that I truly feel has an emergency like to me, that's systemic involvement. So they mm-hmm. have fever, malaise, or facial swelling. Mm-hmm. That's a non-negotiable. We need to get this child's teeth fixed and get the right. infection out of their body because it can spread and it can right. lead to cardiovascular health, brain health, things of that nature. But unfortunately, things in primary teeth and baby teeth can grow quickly. They can go sideways quickly. So a smaller mm-hmm. cavity can grow very quickly. A medium cavity can turn into an infection quickly. You know, primary teeth are less mineralized than permanent teeth. Cavities grow faster. They do. But that being said, you are the advocate and decision maker for your child. But I think what's most important is for you to have all the information so that you can make an appropriate decision for your child and that you have the trust and you feel comfortable with the providers who are offering to care for your child. And so it is a team approach and that's how it should be at dental offices. And I know perhaps that is not always the case, but I'm a big advocate for second opinions, third opinions, Mm -hmm. fourth opinions if needed. I mean, you really want to make sure you feel comfortable. And then let's say you get a few opinions and actually that first dentist you spoke to was the one that resonates most with you. It's okay to go back. If that happened to me, I'm not offended. I want you to go feel comfortable with this decision. And then if you come back to me, that's very flattering. So don't be afraid or intimidated that you've offended that first dentist to call them back up again and say, hey, I'd like my treatment done with you. That's flattering. Yeah. It's also a great way to flesh out that provider. If there is a negative reaction to that, there's something wrong. So so that's always on the table. Second, and I agree with you. What about cost? We haven't really talked about cost. Is it covered by dental insurance? And in the end, I mean, I think I know what your answer will be, but isn't it more efficient to have it all done at once rather than piecemeal over time and cajoling the child or using nitrous and savings there? It depends on the situation. I mean, this is all bio-individual and personalized. So as to the insurance discussion, if you have state insurance, usually it will be all covered. Mm -hmm. Private insurance, as you speak to a lot, is not really insurance. It's Mm -hmm. a benefit package that maxes out. So most people have an annual maximum of, I don't know, $1,000 or $1,200, and it might cover 80% of that. If your child needs full mouth dental rehabilitation, eight teeth fixed or more, you will very likely have a larger out-of-pocket that it doesn't matter where you go, that's probably going to happen. You will max out very quickly at that $1,000, which of course is why we want to teach preventative medicine. Mm -hmm. No filling is better than any filling material. It's why I like to see kids at the age of six, seven, eight months old. It's not because I'm necessarily looking so much at their teeth, but I'm educating the parent about diet and nutrition and hygiene and breathing and products to prevent issues. Perhaps we're not in that situation and our child does have cavities. It just really depends on your insurance. So we do have a lot of parents that come to my office and they will pay quite a lot out of pocket because we are using the highest quality materials. We're using ozone and using laser. There's a lot of additional things we do in my office that isn't covered by insurance. Or we use like zirconia crowns 
instead of the stainless steel crowns, things of this nature that parents are choosing to pay for. As for chipping away at things, if you have a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old who has a lot of issues and cavities, they're not going to set. They're just not. (laughs) The magic age in pediatric dentistry tends to be the age of four, but even that is variable. I mean, I have 10 and 12-year-olds that need anesthesia for dental work because Mm -hmm. maybe they have previous dental trauma or they have sensory issues. Maybe they're autistic. It's just hard to say what the underlying reason would be. But around the age of four, and if the child's cooperative and we got x-rays on them without issue and they sat for their cleaning, they're good listeners and they follow commands, we will use nitrous. We will use nitrous oxide, also known as laughing gas. And I usually will work half mouth, half mouth. A lot of dentists work in quadrants. I have a dry shield, which isolates a whole half of the mouth. I prefer that. I think it's a big ask to ask kids to go back four times for four procedures. Adults burn out from that. So I think less is more. I try to get as much done in one visit as possible. I also am fortunate. I have a laser that I use. So we don't have to use Novocaine. We don't anesthetize the kids. It's a lot faster. We just use a, a topical numbing jelly. But the kids, they do very well, again, if they're compliant. But there are some kids that they sit in the chair and their hands go over their mouth and they won't even lay back. There's no way that those kids are going to sit through dental procedures. I mean, there are many adults that need sedation or anesthesia for their dental work. Kids tend to have thresholds of what they're willing to tolerate. Mm -hmm. These are very protective mechanisms that they can't really rationalize. They can't even speak to it, but they're there to protect the child. And I find that if you do have a laser, microabrasion unit, even a fissurotomy burr, that's a very specific type of burr that we use in our handpiece. If you can get in there and do a one filling, no anesthesia, explain it to them. And then the next visit, Sometimes that works. You go a little bit more and then eventually the third or fourth visit, maybe you do the bigger cavity that requires anesthesia. Sometimes that works along with nitrous, but it's all based on the kid. It's also based on the practitioner. Some practitioners can do this. Talk to your argument for when to see a pediatric dentist. I mean, what are the advantages of seeing a pediatric dentist? I mean, as a dentist, I know what the advantage is. You can get rid of the kid. (laughs) It's not that funny, but there is a time to refer to a pediatric dentist. I mean, I get your joke. Pediatric dentistry is not for everyone. It is for a very unique human. And my hat's off to all my fellow pediatric dentists because I know what you go through every day. And you are an amazing rock star. I think we tend to make it look easy, but I will tell you, it's really, really hard. It's a very hard career and a very hard profession. I am a big advocate for seeing a pediatric dentist, especially if your child has dental needs. We really do have the extra training in behavior management and how to speak to a child and taking the extra time. And also just the environment is more welcoming and comfortable usually. The national recommendation is to see a dentist around the age of one. I know many parents are still calling their local dentist and they're saying, no, no, it's three or four. It's ridiculous. Um, That is way, way, way too late. I see three-year-olds and they have rampant I like to see babies. I like to see around when the first teeth are up, so six or seven months old. Mm -hmm. One, I'm looking for oral ties that perhaps got missed because I'm trying to focus on growth and development and airway health. But more importantly, I'm wanting to educate the parent because we know education is prevention. So I'm teaching them about food introduction, diet, nutrition, hygiene, but not just when to do it, how to do it. How do you brush your one-year-old's teeth? In what positions? How to switch it up, make it fun, products to use, what toothbrush to use, what toothpaste I want you using, nutritional components, like putting your child on a vitamin D3, K2 supplement, because exclusively almost all of us are vitamin D deficient especially in the Pacific Northwest where I live, checking on breathing and airway and mouth breathing. So there's a lot that goes into it. And again, I went into pediatric dentistry because I wanted to get as upstream as possible Mm -hmm. to truly create prevention 
and help with root cause issues, right? So how upstream can you get? Well, it's with kids. Right. And so I'm really, that first appointment a lot is talking so important. to the parent. You know, the kids right. are playing most of the time. And I'm just right. talking, 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 giving handouts, giving infographics, showing products, giving materials for them to empower them to keep their child's oral health healthy, which also is helping their systemic health, of course. Right. And as you well know, not all pediatric dentists and can also include any dentist, they don't all practice in a functional way, that upstream kind of point of view. So, I mean, here's something to consider as a parent. Let's say you're going to have three children. That first kid is in for, you know, a $3,000 treatment plan with not including the cost of the anesthesia. That's what it costs. It can be way more than that, of course. Mm -hmm. That's an investment in the second and third child or the fourth child, because there are things in the functional world that we can say and do and educate on that will prevent that from happening to successive children that you're going to have or already have. And, yes. and so I would look at this as if you were a parent, if you can get it done in one procedure, yes, there is some anesthesia involved, get it done, but learn why did this happen and prevent yes. that from happening with the other kids. Brilliant point. I say yeah. this to parents, there's so much guilt and shame when your child mm-hmm. has cavities in their primary teeth. I personally look at it as an issue with the medical and dental community. It's Mm -hmm. not a parental issue. It's Mm -hmm. a failure on our part to educate out of the gate. Who does that come from? Is it the pediatrician? Do we need to be seeing pediatric dentists sooner? I'm trying to work with OBGYNs and pediatricians personally to create handouts at least that can go home with parents just to teach about education. Because again, a lot of times you have the intention of bringing your child in at one, but Mm -hmm. life happens and all of a sudden they're 18 months or two years old and they might have cavities. And maybe if you had that handout that taught you, oh, I'm supposed to be flossing once the second molars come in or snacking can increase cavities or goldfish crackers aren't good for teeth. Those little tiny tidbits can really help prevent issues. Completely. Um, so anyway, I, so speaking, I, speaking to that, let's talk about what we spoke about earlier. I mean, again, by listening to the listener's question, I always try and piece out every little piece that's in that question. We talked about this. She mentioned that the upper teeth were involved only. And again, by seeing the child earlier, we can get into the explanation that I know you're going to get into next. And then let's also talk about pain. She said that her child wasn't in pain. And that to me right away set off some alarms. It's very difficult to know when your child is in pain. They act out, they do certain things, but let's talk about those two things. And by seeing the child, at a few months old, or this is how I do it. When the parents, obviously we know them, the mom's pregnant. That's a whole different story on treating a pregnant mom in the dental environment. There's a lot of advice that a functional dentist can give prenatal and perinatal, but then the baby's born and they ask, well, when should I bring them in? I say, bring them in at your next visit, even if it's a month old and they're in their stroller, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot to tell the parent Mm-hmm. on what's going to happen. But also sometimes you can take a quick look. You can check if there's a tongue tie, if the hospital had missed that. So, but let's talk about that again, from the question, upper teeth only. Mm-hmm. What would you say about that? That's a well, pattern that we it see. Is a, it is a pattern. So generally, if it's the upper front four incisors and perhaps also the first molars, that is something called either bottle decay or mm-hmm. nursing decay or nursing caries. And it is very typical. I mean, that is the very routine pattern we see from children that are either falling asleep with a bottle, whether it's breast milk or cow's milk, certainly juice, please don't do that, but or children that are perhaps co-sleeping on demand breastfeeding. And again, if you follow me and read some of my posts I've presented on Instagram before, it's not the breast milk that's causing the cavities. I really want to emphasize this to moms. No, no shame here for moms. You're doing the right thing. Shamed breastfeeding. all the time. And they're told all the time to mm-hmm. stop Ugh. feeding. I even have moms telling me they were told to stop breastfeeding. And there's not even any issues in the teeth. I just wow. think, where is our society going? This is crazy. Right. Breastfeeding is hugely important for facial development, jaw development, immune response, mm-hmm. microbiome, all of that. So yeah. it's not your breast milk, but it is part of the equation, mm-hmm. multifaceted. And usually we notice cavities after food has been introduced. And so a lot of times first foods that are introduced to kids are like rice crackers or, you know, those melty 
high carb kind of processed rice based. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are sticking in the teeth, they're coating the teeth, they're feeding our pathogenic bacteria. Mm-hmm. And then often hygiene isn't ideal. Right. So plaque and bacteria are sitting on the teeth and then you mix it with the breast milk or the bottle, what have you. And then it creates this perfect storm. Right. So when we see upper teeth only in this very specific pattern, that's usually where I go with the parent is trying to get to the root cause. Because again, we want to learn from this, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I like to tell parents these are practice teeth. Mother Nature is very kind. Mm-hmm. She gives us a second yes. chance. That's cute. So don't take it too seriously. It's a learning right. opportunity. The big thing is we want to make changes when your children are young so that yes. their adult teeth stay healthy. Right. So I I would need to see the cavities if they're really small, if they're incipient. I, again, I kick the can as long as I can. We talk about making changes to the routine, to the hygiene, to the products, to the foods, to how we're breathing. And we will sometimes use ozone in my office, water, sometimes gas and oils and things in hydroxyapatite to stabilize the teeth. Generally, especially the molars, they do need to be fixed at some point. But again, I'm kicking the can until the child's older. So I feel more comfortable putting them under anesthesia, or maybe they're old enough to sit with nitrous oxide, you know? Right. Again, this is the functional approach. And it sounds like she wasn't informed about what kind of sedation it was and why it was being done. What are the pros and cons? Are there any options? But also, why are they just upper teeth? And then uh, let's talk about pain, pain in children. To me, that's always very fascinating. And it's not as cut and dry as you would expect. It's really not. So there's a few things with that. So first of all, a cavity usually will not hurt Mm -hmm. until it's quite large or until it's close or into the nerve. So you can have cavities and have no pain. That being said, I am shocked with some kids that come into my office that have huge cavities, nerve exposures, infections, abscessing, and their parents will say they've never complained of pain. And it's really surprising. Now, I think kids are very tolerant of discomfort. I also think this process cavities, it's very gradual. So they sort of get desensitized to it. They also don't know the difference at some point. They also have a hard time articulating things. So very often we will do a full mouth rehabilitation under anesthesia on children. And we do a two week follow up with the families. I mean, this is very frequently the parent will come and say, I have a new kid. I didn't even know that he wasn't sleeping well, but he sleeps mm-hmm. amazing now. His behavior's better. Mm-hmm. He's a better eater. Right. He eats his vegetables. He eats meat. Right. Yeah. It's because his teeth were probably really Causing uncomfortable. Pain. Yes. Yeah. And now we fix right. them. We also got rid of all this infection and bacteria, like all this pathogenic bacteria that is in our mouth. It's inflammation. Right. And we're swallowing it. It's affecting our gut health. How is that affecting our mood? I mean, there's so much research going into this now about the importance of the gut and oral microbiome working together and for behavior and et cetera. So we notice huge improvements. And so that can be motivational for parents to hear too when they're trying to make this decision whether or not to get their child's teeth fixed, that it really can have a lot of amazing downstream health benefits to them. That's why I wanted to bring up the pain aspect of it. It's so important. It's underappreciated. As adults, we can rationalize, we can pinpoint the pain, we can push it away in our minds and say, we'll deal with it later. A kid totally reacts differently to it. They will be a different kid, as you said, with that pain. And they won't tell you where it is or what it's like. And I'm always amused at these dentists who are asking, okay, when does it wake you up in the middle of the night? (laughs) Or does it wake you up in the middle of the night? Most kids won't be able to tell you that. Where does it hurt? Maybe they'll point to the mouth, but after that. So that's why you really need a good patient in this case, probably a pediatric dentist that really understands all of that. And I think it's important as a parent, A, don't feel bad. That's so easy for parents to go there. And I get that. And also a lot of parents, not just the shame, but the disappointment that, you know, they bring their child in and that cavity is that first bit of disease or harm or alteration. Then come the sunburns and the freckles and the broken bones and sure. maybe a scar on the face from a fall or from a bull's tooth. Yeah. Exactly. But that cavity is that first bit of, oh, I'm losing control here. My kid was perfect. I worked so hard at bringing in a kid into this world perfectly. And now they have something. And that's what a cavity is. It is 
oral disease. As you said, it's uh, an example of dysbiosis of a microbiome. And so it's sometimes, as dentists, we get cold to that. But to me, it's always very sad to see that. We see it in our adult patients when that first extraction, other than oh, it was yeah. losing a tooth, there's stigma and, and there's so much. So, so I'm glad we talked about the pain. In summary, let's talk about just the idea of sedating your child. Pros yeah. and cons real quick. In yeah, a, I can go yeah. over a summary. Absolutely. So I think first and foremost, take a deep breath. Please know cavities are the number one chronic disease in children mm-hmm. globally. I believe it's a failure of the medical dental system educating you. It's also a failure of our food system. Totally. That's a whole other podcast. Right. Gag. Feel empowered to ask questions to your providers If their responses don't resonate with you, get a second opinion. Ask questions about the medications, the emergency protocols, monitors that are used, and what is recovery like. Those are all very reasonable questions. Also, please know it's totally normal to feel very uneasy about this and very scared. It will be a hard day for you, but kids do great. They really do. Speak to your pediatrician about it. But again, get second opinions, get third opinions, ask what options are, ask for risks and benefits, ask what happens if we wait six months, if we Mm -hmm. wait a year, what treatment are you recommending? How do I prevent this in the future? What happened? Can you help educate me on that? Can we try to figure this out so that this doesn't happen again? And if you are getting shamed or guilted, again, feel empowered to seek out another provider. There's so many wonderful providers out there. And I really do think in younger kids, a pediatric dentist, I mean, I'm biased, but I do think you will have a little different experience there as will your child. Agreed. The appointments are longer. They're slower. We tend to be very rainbows and butterflies and unicorny and really upbeat. And it yeah. just well, it's like your office, Stacey. The minute you walk in, it's all geared towards children. Yeah. Children get it. They don't want to leave. <laughs> it should be that way. It's right. exactly. for them. I mean, yeah. it's, it's for kids. But yeah, I mean, I hope that helps. And then, of course, probably in the show notes or somehow, please put my way to reach me. I'm always oh, happy to answer yep. individualized questions because yep. this is a big deal. You want to feel supported and like you have the proper information to make the yep. best decision for your child. Yeah. Thank you so much, Stacey. This was so helpful. You've alleviated a lot of pain from the parent's point of perspective. I think the big picture here is that get your child in right away. Dental disease is very prevalent as for the reasons you stated, but the sooner you get it done, the better overall for your child, for their whole development, for future disease, systemic disease. Also, it'll make your life easier. And really the key to everything I just said, what you just said, is it's probably the anesthesia that's going to get you to the quickest and the safest. If you do it piecemeal over time and a lot of trauma to the child, you've done some irreversible harm to that child that you may not really be cognizant of, but down the road, there's suffering and pain and avoidance behavior of and fear of dental procedures. So again, thank you so much, Stacey. This was great. I think we really answered that question. Probably went on a little too much, but I always prefer to do that. So, and I look forward to having you on the podcast again. There are lots of things we can talk about. A lot of parents are really hesitant about x-rays. And so we can Mm. certainly kind of flesh that out. And there are times when you need to do x-rays, but certainly there is a very clear argument that we are taking x-rays too often. And it's almost like a knee-jerk habit when you come to the dentist and it makes our job easier, but there are things that we can do, of course, that where we can stretch that out a little bit. So anyway, look forward to that. And we did this on a Sunday. I appreciate the time you took. Anytime, Dr. Brahana. Sounds great. Thank you again. We'll be talking again. All right. Thank you. That was wonderful. I will keep it short now because this is turning out to be a very long episode. Of course, very important and necessary. And it's a question that many parents are asking. And I think it's important to get as much information as possible because, you know, when it comes to your children, you really need peace of mind. So I'm hoping Stacy and our discussion helps parents And again, obviously, you don't want to be in the situation to begin with, but parenting is very difficult. Stacy was referring a lot, as far as blame goes, was referring a lot to the medical dental kind of kingdom. And then I mentioned the big ag food kingdom, whatever you want to call it, arena. And there's a lot of blame to go around. And if you are a parent and you 
show up at the dentist and are faced with this kind of decision and your child has a lot of cavities, please don't feel bad. This is a very common thing. You are not alone. So I'll leave it at that. That's definitely another episode. Perhaps we'll get Stacy back on that one. You'll definitely hear from Stacy again. I'm going to link to her practice and her IG account. I definitely recommend. She's one of the shining stars on our functional directory list. She is absolutely amazing. She is cutting edge, not just cutting edge dentistry, but as it relates to children, the very early years, the impressionable years, as you heard, there is so much that goes into treating a child for the first time when it comes to oral health. So again, thank you to Stacy. Thanks to the question from the listener. Very important. Uh, we may revisit this in the future as things get better. New technology comes out again. We've had a big advance. It's much safer now. Just as an aside, in the medical world, I'm not sure how far back, but when the pulse ox came out and other devices, it used to be where an anesthesiologist had a very tough time practicing because their malpractice was so high to the point where they would stop working or practice general medicine. Those days are gone. The malpractice rate costs for insurance are way, way down. And that's because it is now very, very safe. So that's always a good indicator and good news because all this new technology allows us to do this at a much safer level. So anyway, I will leave it at that. Hope that was helpful. We will definitely be bringing on other functional providers that are on our list, even not on our list, just to get you information that is accurate and up to date. If you have any questions, go to speakpipe.com slash ask the dentist. Would love to hear it. Stick to one question, please. We've limited the time that you can ask the question. Some of them are getting too long. That way I don't have to edit it down when it does appear on this podcast. But I do want to hear your voice. I would love your first name. Certainly where you're from would be helpful too. Would love to know more about that, what's going on in what part of the country kind of thing, and ask your question. It's a privilege to be able to answer it. If you have any more questions in general, you want to learn more about functional health, functional dentistry, dentistry in general, oral health, how it relates to the human body systemically, go to askthedentist.com. That's our website. And then, of course, if you are looking for a functional director, like in this example, this poor woman wasn't given much information. She was just told to show up again for a big, big series of fillings and sedation and and all that. If you want someone to explain all this and try and prevent it to begin with, then go to our directory at askthedentist.com slash directory. You'll find many like-minded and very well-educated functional dentists. So again, thank you for your time. Thanks for those questions. It is uh, a privilege to be listened to, and I really do not take that lightly. I want you to get the best information possible. Reach out to me. Let me know what you think of the format where we bring in some guests. would love to know more about what you think, and I will see you in the next episode. Stay safe. See you soon. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search or find a dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.